Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Nehemiah chapter 4 and Nehemiah chapter 6 are the two passages that we're going to look at this morning. Nehemiah 4 and Nehemiah 6. And as we did last week, for those who were here last week, if you weren't, not to worry, um, we're going to be using your journals or your smartphones. So please have those handy. I'm going to be asking a couple of questions, giving you an opportunity to, to just in the moment, in the sermon, respond to a couple of key questions that I'm going to be asking as we work our way through Nehemiah 4 and Nehemiah 6. So have those smartphones, have those journals, re- have those journals ready. I once, uh, once maligned former president from Texas, George W., once famously said this. He said, There is an old, I can't do the the American accent, I apologize, but uh, there is an old saying in Tennessee, I I know it's in Texas, so probably it's in Tennessee too, that says, fool me once, shame on, and then he pauses for a moment, shame on you, fool me, and then he pauses again, you get fooled again. Didn't make much sense. (laughs) The saying is not from Tennessee, and the saying is not from Texas either. It's actually a 17th century English proverb that goes like this. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Or said another way, he that deceives me once, it's his fault, twice, it's mine. And the point of that saying is simply this. If you get deceived, if you get taken advantage of, make sure you learn the lesson so you don't get taken advantage of again. And today, that's, that's essentially the lesson we're going to learn. We're going to learn today that the devil is real, and he actively opposes those of us who are intentionally and deliberately pursuing the covenant purposes of God. But the good news is that the devil is not creative, and he attacks us in the same way time and time again. And the advice that we're going to learn from Nehemiah 4 and Nehemiah 6 was as applicable then as it is, as it is now. And it is simply this, remember the Lord and fight. Remember the Lord and fight. The problem is we forget time and time again. So we're halfway through our Nehemiah series. For those who are, are joining us for the first time, we're, we're working this summer through the book of Nehemiah. And I think this is week seven. So we're just over halfway through the particular series. And the series is entitled Exiles to Heirs. And essentially, the book of Nehemiah is about this rebuilding project. Nehemiah uh, takes some of God's people, some of the Israelites that have been scattered into Persia. He takes them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls. And what we see is, what, what we've learned so far is in Nehemiah chapter 1, he gets to hear of the state of the walls of Jerusalem. They have been devastated. God's people are scattered. And Nehemiah is incredibly burdened by this, not just because of the state of the physical walls, but because this represents the glory and the goodness and the power and the majesty of God in the nations. And he wants to see that established. And so most of chapter 1, Nehemiah is praying, Lord, would you help us? to reestablish the city walls and to, and, and to reestablish your name into the nations. Nehemiah chapter 2, he travels to Jerusalem. He does an assessment of the situation. He kind of sees what needs to be done. And then he, he, he casts vision. He gathers people together to begin this rebuilding project. Nehemiah chapter 3 is an amazing passage of Scripture. It's people of different diverse backgrounds coming together under one vision and to help rebuild the city wall. And we see this phrase in Nehemiah chapter 3 time and time again. It's, it's this phrase, and next to them. 
and next to them and next to them. It describes this amazing sense of unity and togetherness under God, under one vision to establish the city walls. Now, we're going to, we're going to skip over Nehemiah 4. And last week in Nehemiah 5, the, the building project takes a little bit of a back seat. Last week, we learned as to how Nehemiah had to address some of those who had privilege and position, some of the nobles of Israel who were taking advantage of those who were less advantaged. And we learned about the importance of using our position and our privilege in a compassionate, God-fearing, God-honoring way. And that brings us to Nehemiah 4 and Nehemiah 6. Sometimes when we read through the book of Nehemiah, on the surface, this idea of rebuilding Old Testament city walls can appear like rather challenging preaching material through a summer series in downtown Chicago in 2018. But I want to say, we are just like the Israelites. We too, just like they were, we too are the people of God that are pursuing, intentionally pursuing His covenant purposes. We're just at a different point in the story. We are further along doing something different, but for the same purpose, and that is to bring God, honor to God's name into the nations of the world. In the book of Nehemiah, God's people under Nehemiah's leadership were called to rebuild the city walls in order to bless the nations. And you and I today, whether we're here in Chicago or in Empangeni, are called under Jesus' leadership to help to establish the local church, establish the church so that we can be salt and light to those around us. Why? To bless the nations for the glory of God's name. And when we pursue the covenant purposes of God, we need to realize that the devil will rise up and begin to oppose those who are intentionally pursuing God's purposes. And that's what we're going to learn about today. Now, as I mentioned, I left out Nehemiah chapter 4. Nancy did a phenomenal job in teaching about Nehemiah chapter 4. But I am going to build off of some of the things that she spoke about because Nehemiah 4 and Nehemiah 6 are a continuous story of the opposition that Israel faced. So we're going to look at a few highlights from Nehemiah 4, and then we're going to read together most of Nehemiah 6. If you have your Bibles, follow along. Otherwise, the text will appear behind me on the screen. So let's read the first three verses to start off. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the, Jew, he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up, and up on it, would break down their wall of stones. So firstly, we need to acknowledge that the people of God were being mocked and ridiculed. The people of God were being mocked and belittled. It says this, Sambalit and Tobiah were ridiculing the Jews just like the devil ridicules us. The devil ridicules Christians through media and entertainment. Think about that for, the, for a moment. When last did you see in the media or in a movie or on a TV show when a Christian or a Christian leader is portrayed in an honoring manner? The devil ridicules us personally. How many times, I'm sure you must have felt, I know I have, when the devil ridicules us and says, what, you are going to do that for God? Can God use you to do that? 
and he ridicules us as a church. I don't know if you've had this thought in your mind sometimes. I certainly have. A few hundred people going to change the city of Chicago? A few hundred people going to change the nations of the world? That's how the devil begins to ridicule us. I want to say, yes, a few hundred people are able to change a city and able to change the nations. Let's drop down to verse 7. When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. So in this instance, the Israelites faced physical attack from the enemies. The surrounding cities and the surrounding nations and tribes were gathering together for this common purpose of coming to physically oppose the work that the Israelites were doing. And sometimes we need to acknowledge that that's the strategy of the devil. He comes to physically attack us. I don't know if I said this a couple months ago, but our daughter, for those of you who don't know, our daughter suffered a brain bleed in early February. And that, that attack from the devil was not just on her and our family, but it was an attack of the devil upon our church. It was two weeks Two weeks after we as an eldership team felt the, 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 the unified yes to 4216 West Belmont. And it was two weeks before we started that pivotal preaching series relaunching our vision framework. And so the attack of the devil on Hannah's life was not just an attack on her, but it was an attack on us as a church. And can I say this, friends, that's not just so for Hannah. It's true when the devil attacks any one of us in this room or anyone who's part of this church. When he takes one of us out, we all feel it because we are called together to be living stones that are, that are, that are coming together to be a place for the dwelling of God. Let's drop down to verse 10 and then verse 12. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Then the Jews who lived near them came and, and they told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So not only were the Israelites facing attack from the outside, but their very people were becoming discouraged and overwhelmed. I'm sure you know this to be true, but, but I can't think of anything more discouraging from facing opposition from the very people who have committed to have your back. And the very people who promise to stand by you no matter what comes against us. And to face discouragement from them can be incredibly disheartening. Down to verse 19. Then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. And we are widely separated from each other. So on top of all of that, on top of physical attack and, and in some way being ridiculed and, and, and the people being discouraged, they were being separated from one another. And I think this is one of, one of the devil's primary strategies to, to separate us from community, to separate us from the importance of being with one another. When we are isolated, we are more susceptible to the devil's being able to pick us off. Those of you with children will know this to be true. When, when your child trips and falls and grazes their knee, the one thing they do every time is pick themselves up and they shout, mom or dad, and they run directly for them. 
But for some reason as Christians, when, when we trip and fall, when we stumble and, and, and make a mistake or we, or, or, or we come under the devil's attack, the one thing we tend to do is to isolate ourselves and to say, well, let's see how long it takes for someone from my church to notice that I'm not around. And it's the devil's strategy to isolate us. And isolation is not just a physical thing. It's not just an absence from church or an absence from from community groups. It can be a thing of the heart as well. You can be as present physically and be here every single week, but in your heart, you've isolated yourself from others. And as Philip Christ once famously said, he said, the single banana lying next to the bunch is always the one that is eaten first. Take that as theology or not, I'll leave that with you. All right, let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 6 and read from verse 1 together. So this is a continuation of the, of the attack of the enemy upon the people of God. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. It's a great name. (laughs) But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem says, it is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. Can I just stop and say, the devil is, is famous for exaggerating situations. For, for blowing situations out of proportion. How often have, have you faced a, cert, a, circ, a certain set of circumstances that you know where the devil is opposing you and he takes that situation and somehow it is the, the largest and most overwhelming thing you've ever faced? And Geshem said it is true that, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. And have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let's meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us. Thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. And it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Sanballat and his cronies were persistently distorting the truth. And again, that's one thing that you can say about the devil. He is relentless in badgering us with his lies. Verse 10, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Delaiah. These are hard words for someone who has a bit of a stutter. The son of Mehetabel, who was shut in his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. 
I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. The last kind of attack that we see of the devil is, is well, of Sanballat. He was trying to intimidate Nehemiah by getting religious on him. Come, let's reason in the house of God. Surely God would not want you to rebuild the city walls. And can I say, friends, when it comes to the attack of the devil, we need to be, a, be cautious of a religious response. When we try to do the right thing with no faith in our heart and just going through the motions, we are doing nothing more than a religious obligation which has no power to overcome the devil and in fact will simply discourage us. Verse 14 and 15. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the war was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Chapters 4 and 6 detail some very clear and, and quite overwhelming opposition that Nehemiah and the Israelites faced from their enemies. And I want to, as I said in the introduction, the same is true for us. Just as they were, we are pursuing the, purpose, the covenant purposes of God. And when that happens, the devil will look to oppose us. So for us as a church, as we are pursuing all of Jesus for everyone, our new kind of banner statement that summarizes our vision framework, we mustn't be surprised as we give ourselves wholeheartedly to that, that we are going to come up against the devil's attack. And as each of you are pursuing the vision that God has given you, as each of you try to allow God to, to formulate the burden that he's put on your heart, as you give yourselves to that, don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised if it comes with the opposition of the devil. The same strategy, the same encouragement that Nehemiah gave the people of God in Nehemiah chapter 4 and 6 is the same strategy that we must adhere to. It is just as relevant now as it was then. And if we intentionally and simply respond with faith, I'm going to show you today that this strategy is powerful and effective in opposing the attack of the devil on our lives. I stumbled across this rather obscure statistic. It said 43% of, American, 43% of Americans believe Christians complain too much about how they are treated, up from 34% two years ago. What shocked me was, was why on earth are they measuring such arbitrary statistics? The point I want to make from this is what I'm about to say is not complaining about how Christians are treated, but an actual fact. Followers of Jesus, those of us who are pursuing the covenant purposes of God, are a target of an organized effort by spiritual forces of wickedness and evil, headed by Satan, that are violently opposed to God's purposes being achieved. We need to settle that. And to that end... Satan lies and undermines the goodness of God. He harasses us at times with sickness. He tempts us to sin. He fills us with fear. He binds us to he, he blinds us to the truth. He snatches the way snatches away the word of God when it is planted in our hearts as a seed. He promotes hypocrisy. 
He accuses, condemns, discourages, brings persecution, fosters disunity, and sows false doctrine. And he masquerades as the angel of light. John chapter 10 does not say the devil comes to annoy and irritate and discourage. It says that the devil comes to to steal and to kill and to destroy. Don't worry, we're going to get to the good news very shortly. But I want you to be aware of this because this is important. Sometimes we get so discouraged when we face the opposition of the devil because we think we have sinned because the devil is opposing us. And I want to say, friends, no, that is not the case. I'm going to show us what we are called to do. I want to summarize summarize it like this, and like I tend to do, it's all going to start with the same letter, so it must be true, as James always says. Summarized, the devil looks to do this. He looks to discredit us. Can I just say, sometimes the devil doesn't need to discredit us, because we are pretty good at doing that ourselves. The devil comes to destroy us. The devil comes to discourage us. The devil comes to divide us. That's another thing that we're pretty good at. The devil comes to distort and distract us from the truth of what God has said. So here's my first question for you. On your smartphone or on your journal, and we're going to go through these questions again, but but what resonates with you right now? Not everyone here is, is facing the attack of the devil. And if you're not, I want you to listen to this generally because at some stage you will. But I know there are a number of you here who are facing opposition from the enemy. And I want to ask you this question. What, or in what way is the devil specifically opposing you right now? Do you feel mocked and belittled and discredited about your ability to fulfill the dreams that God has put on your heart? Are you struggling with this idea of who am I fooling? How on earth am I going to do fill in the blank of what God has put on your heart to do? Do you feel mocked and belittled and discredited about your ability to fulfill the dreams that God has put on your heart to do? Secondly, are are, are you perhaps under specific uh, spiritual attack? Are you gripped with fear or anxiety? Are you battling with a health issue that, that just can't seem to be broken? As Mark so wonderfully encouraged us, are are you perhaps in a a financial kind of black hole that just seems to be uh, uh, sowing nothing more than just hopelessness and despair? Are you currently under a specific uh, spiritual attack? Or perhaps those close to you are trying to discourage you from God's purposes when you know that He has spoken specifically. There's nothing wrong in gaining wise perspective from leaders and those you trust. And sometimes leaders and those you trust might, dis- might dissuade you or might wisely counsel you to not pursue that particular plan. But I want to say this. At the end of the day, we are not answerable to leaders or to other people. We are answerable to what God has put on our hearts to do. Are there those in your lives right now who the devil is using to discourage you from pursuing God's purpose. Fourthly, are you isolated from others and from community? Or have you allowed to to be isolated in your heart? Is God's word under threat? Are you struggling to hold on to or, or to believe the promises that God has spoken over your life? And perhaps lastly, do you feel distracted from God's purpose? 
Do you feel distracted from God's presence? You see, I'm not for a moment suggesting that every single time we are distracted from God's presence, it's an attack of the devil. Sometimes it's laziness. Sometimes it's poor discipline. Sometimes it's bad choices. But sometimes there is a very real attack of the devil behind that, distracting us from the plan and purpose of God. When we face opposition... I think our reaction is, is kind of falls into various categories and is, is, is often quite common. I, I want to share a, a bit of a personal experience that I had uh, over the last six months. Soon after Hannah's uh, brain bleed, I, I developed this kind of face nerve issue which was related to stress. It's called trigeminal neuralgia. It's quite a, quite a nasty thing. And I want to say, before I go any further... I have been miraculously healed of this, and I don't have time to go into the details. But the night before I received prayer, which was about a month and a half, six weeks ago, this, basically what it is, is the the nerve on the right side of my face. If you can imagine someone getting a pair of pliers and grabbing hold of the end of that nerve, and that would happen um, probably at at its worst every day for about 40 or 50 times a day. Unexpectedly, I'd get this electric shock that would shoot up the side of my face. And then it got so severe that when I was talking and eating, that, that stopped from being one-second shocks to sometimes eight to ten seconds at a time. This electric shock that would shoot up the side of my face. It was incredibly painful. And then about six or eight weeks ago, a group of friends gathered around me and prayed for me. And I have been miraculously healed. Miraculously healed. But I say that to say, during those six months when I was facing stress from this and stress from Hannah's recovery, these are some of the things I unfortunately slipped into, which might minister and resonate with you. I became overwhelmed and discouraged. I became overwhelmed and discouraged. I became fixated on and consumed by the struggle that I was facing. Does that resonate with you? When when, when you're facing the devil's attack, your, your singular focus is on the thing that you are struggling with. I became fearful. I allowed fear to grip my heart. I became passive. I became indifferent. I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but literally there were times when I thought, let me just back off from the purposes of God because maybe then the devil will let, let, let let me go and leave me alone. I became passive and indifferent. I tried to blame others. I sat there thinking to myself, no one understands the things that I'm going through. Instead of rising up and fighting, I was looking for people to blame because they didn't understand what I was going through. And if I'm honest, I got religious. I went through the motions without believing in my heart that God was able to heal me and deliver me of this thing. Essentially what happened is I forgot whose I was and I forgot where I was. I forgot whose I was, and I'm going to answer. I'm going to, I'm going to show you what that is. And I forgot where I was. So, so Nehemiah's response to the Israelites back in Nehemiah chapter four, verse fourteen and fifteen, is so relevant to us today. Listen to what he says. Nehemiah says, "After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome.'" And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of of their plot, 
and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Nehemiah's encouragement to, to, to the Israelites, my encouragement to you as you face the devil's attack, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Fight and continue the work that God has called you to do. Don't be passive. Don't give up. Don't turn away from the plans and purposes of God. And so my encouragement to, to us today is really simple. I, 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 whenever I teach on spiritual warfare, I will always teach on this truth. The secret, it's not really a secret, the, 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 the number one thing to do when it, in, in terms of standing firm against the attack of the devil is simply this. Remember who you are in Jesus. The number one strategy in spiritual warfare is intimacy with the Lord. It's why Nehemiah said, remember the Lord and fight. We need to remind ourselves that because I am in Christ and Christ is in God, God has me and he will never let me go, no matter what I face. I need to constantly remind myself that because I am clothed in Christ, as Galatians 3 says, Not only am I wearing Jesus' robes of righteousness, but I am wearing his armor of authority. I have been given his name. It means that I need to remind myself that because Jesus' name is the name above every name and above every title and above every sickness and disease, his name is a strong tower that I can run to, and there I am safe. And we need to remind ourselves that because Jesus has already defeated the devil through his death and resurrection, and because I am in Jesus, I don't fight for victory, I fight from a place of victory. Victory has already been achieved. I am simply appropriating Jesus' victory in my life. When we oppose the devil, we need to know whose I am and where I am. In other words, I belong to God and I am in Christ. I belong to God and I'm in Christ. And I want to end off by, by simply looking at, I think, the most pivotal verse in the Bible when it comes to spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, every one of you, those of you who are familiar with the Bible, would immediately think, Ephesians 6, oh, that's all about the armor of God. The helmet of, of, uh, uh, the, the helmet of salvation, thank you. The, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the, the belt of truth, all of that important. But, but in my humble opinion, I think Paul's introduction to the armor of God is the single most important truth about spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. You see, all of those uh, uh, components of the armor of God will mean nothing if we don't know how to stand strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord simply means this, to to be strengthened in the Lord. It's not so much something that we do, but it's somewhere that we are. We are close to Jesus. We are, we are tucked in close to Him. When I think of be strengthened in the Lord, I think of Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. 
That to me speaks of finding strength in the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. In the NASB, be still actually says this, stop, relax, stop striving and know that I am God. And sometimes, friends, we need to hear that. Sometimes we think when we face opposition, we need to do this and we need to do that. And yes, there are times that we need to rise up and, 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 and exert and, and exercise the authority that we have. But could I suggest that sometimes we need to stop. We need to settle. We, we need to stop striving. We need to find that place of being still and knowing that God is God. And I think that's what God sometimes wants us to do. He says over us, stop striving. Stop worrying. That struggle you're going through is not my last word on that situation. That financial crisis that Mark was alluding to or or that breakthrough that we're trusting for that the devil is opposing, that's not the last word on the situation. Don't strive. Be still and know that I've got this. That word that that person spoke over you that discouraged you, that's not my word. I have something else to say. Be still and know that I am God. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Not my strength, not my courage, not the strength that I can muster, but tucking in under Jesus, knowing that He's won the victory and I fight from that place of victory already. I want to get super practical again. What does remember the Lord look like? Practically, what does it look like? I've asked you the question, how is the devil specifically opposing you? And I want to suggest a couple of ways, a couple of things that God might want you to do in this situation that you're currently in. Now, I'm going to ask you to take out your smartphones again and jot some of these things down, not just for the sake of having notes, but as you do so, ask the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, what is the one or two or few things that you need me to do in this season? What are the one or two or few things that you need me to do in this season as I stand and remember the Lord and fight? Firstly, perhaps the Holy Spirit is encouraging you to to refocus on Jesus, to refocus on Jesus, to, to fix your eyes on Him through prayer, through worship. Refocus on Jesus. Secondly, to remember His faithfulness. We need to remember the faithfulness of God. We need to remember the ways that God has delivered us in the past. When David fought Goliath, he said, God delivered me from the lion and the bear. Therefore, I know He will deliver me from you, this uncircumcised Philistine. God is faithful in the small things so that we can remember His faithfulness, so that when we face the giants, it's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Refocus, remember, reassess your situation in the light of who you know God to be. We need to do that, friends. We need to actively reassess the situation we face in the light of who God is. Some of us might need to repent. If we've reacted, if we've allowed fear to grip our hearts, if we've grown anxious, if we've allowed ourselves to be consumed by the struggle, Some of us need to repent and say, Father, forgive me for allowing my eyes to drop off your son, Jesus. Some of us need to regroup with others around you. Friends, there is strength in numbers. There is strength in numbers. We are never meant to take 
on the devil by ourselves. And then lastly, we need to reclaim ground instead of retreat. This is a season for reclaiming ground, friends. If you have found yourself in the spirit realm taking a step or two back, I want to say this is a season where we stand firm in the Lord. Remember whose we are and where we are. And it is a time for us to advance and to see the kingdom of God through us advance into our city and into our nation. Can I have the worship team come up if you wouldn't mind? I'm going to ask us all, if we can just close our eyes for a moment, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer today. Well, not so much a prayer, but just an opportunity for you to do exactly what I've been encouraging you to do, to be still and to know that He is God in the situation that, that, that you face. If I can just ask you to close your eyes for a moment, and I'm going to just walk us through those four things that Nehemiah told the Israelites to do. To not be afraid, to remember the Lord, to fight, and to continue the work. I'm just going to lead us through just for two, two or three more minutes, and then we're going to end off with a worship song. Two or three more minutes, and just for us to respond and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to minister over us. So Holy Spirit, even now, we want to ask you to, to move among us. Father, we, we, we don't want to, to just be uh, full of your word. We want to be full of your word and full of your life. Your word brings life when it comes with power. And so today, Lord God, in the, in the various situations and circumstances that we are facing, we want to ask Holy Spirit right now that you would lead us, that you would minister to us, that you would breathe courage and boldness in us in Jesus' name. If you are facing the specific attack of the devil right now in this season, I want to encourage you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Remember, you are in Jesus. And Jesus is in God. And God is never going to let you go. He promises in Psalm 23, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. Even though you might be going through hard times, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't allow fear to come into your heart. It is a strategy of the devil. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember whose you are. Remember Jesus' victory on the cross. Right now, I'm going to ask you just to, just to bring to mind that empty cross and that open tomb because Jesus has defeated death and has defeated sin and sickness. And He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Remember the Lord. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Fight. Fight is what Nehemiah says. And as I've hopefully explained to you today, that means this, be still, be still and know that He is God. Don't strive, don't be religious, don't, don't try and make things happen, don't try and impress God with your, with your, with your uh, confidence and courage. Be still, 
and know that He is God. And I want to say lastly, continue the work. Whatever it is God has put on your heart to do that you are facing opposition in, if it is a a relationship issue, if it is a financial crisis, if it is a thing at work, if it is a health issue, don't give up on the plans and purposes for your life. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Fight and continue the work. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for your grace, for your life, for your liberty, for your joy, for your strength, for your presence to come now, Lord God, and to fill us in Jesus' name. Lord, we surrender. We surrender, Lord. We say, Lord, we acknowledge we are incapable of fighting the enemy. But Lord, in you, we are fully capable. We have been given the name that is above every name. And in that name, we stand today, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, we take our position and we stand in your strength and with your authority. And we say to the enemy, this far and no further. Lord, today I pray that courage would arise in every single one of us to be able to advance and step into the fullness of your plans for our lives and for this church. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus. And we say, thank you, Lord, that you have won the victory. Thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us and led us into victory. Lord God, let this be a season of victory and hope over Church of the City and over every single life that is represented in this church. Every person, let this be a season of victory and hope. Let this be a season of advancing. Let this be a season of celebration. Let this be a season of promises fulfilled. Let this be a season of miraculous outcomes. Let this be a season of healing and wholeness. Let this be a season of favor and grace and goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. You have never left us. You have never forsaken us. And we thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you for that, Lord God. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City, all of Jesus for everyone.